Today, we're gonna mangle. What have we not said? Mold. Ooh. We're gonna mold this week's topic. Okay, that was a little Sorry, guys. sad, but I can't believe it. Julia's every season energy is still going. <laughs> I don't have a better one because I can't think we of need any to, words. We need to think of that. We need to start yeah. really putting some serious thought into this. Okay, we're we're gonna do. Well, let's just begin. <laughs> gonna, we're gonna start the podcast now. This week's topic is cult directors. I remember this time to say it with you yes. at the same time. Thank you. All right, do you want to go first? Yes. Let's fucking kick it off. Okay, guys. Um, the cult director I'm doing is Wes Anderson. Oh yeah. <laughs> She's right. hype. We're hype. I love Wes Anderson. Um, Who doesn't? He's a great... No, honestly, if you don't like Wes Anderson, don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> Fuck you. You clearly then. don't have any culture. Fuck. Culture vultures. That's what we're here for. Great. You're right. To provide culture. Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's self-indulgent of us. Yeah, we're here to provide yeah, culture. Yeah, we're just like dishing out culture left and right because we're so intelligent, <laughs> so culturally aware. We're living that at all. Okay. Still listen, okay. Yeah, still listen, please. Yeah, um, yeah. Maybe we'll change your mind if you don't like Wes Anderson. I don't know. Yeah, whatever. Okay. Um, so Wes Anderson was born Wesley Wales Anderson. How posh. How posh. But he's American, right? Yes, he's from okay. Houston, Texas, baby. <laughs> Houston, Texas, baby. Beyonce. Yeah. On May 1st, 1969. So that would make him. I really Tors. should do this beforehand. Oh my God, you're right. Oh my God. <gasps> Taurus is like you. Wait, what is Quentin to you? An Aries. Oh yeah, we talked Aries. about this. Okay, yeah. <gasps> Guys. Right. Kind of crazy. He's the second of three boys. And fun fact, his younger brother, Eric Chase Anderson, is a writer and artist whose paintings have appeared in several of Anderson's films. Including Royal Tenenbaums. Love that movie. We watched it for we research. We watched that also, for research. So cute. It's so cute. What a sibling bond. I know, right? If I was a movie director and my brother was good at art, <laughs> I would do the same. Under very specific circumstances, you would <laughs> do the same say. thing. Also, his brother was the voice of Christopherson Silver Fox oh. and Fantastic Mr. Fox. Amazing. So that's amazing. Wait, that's his full name? Silver Fox? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that really wasn't it. I didn't really need to have that detail. <laughs> I like it. I also spelled it wrong. I spelled it <laughs> s- s- with, okay, so capital S I L V E R O X. Silver Ox. <laughs> At least you said it right, so it's fine. Okay, so that's a fun fact. Also, as a child in his, in his youth, little Wesley was making silent films on his father's Super 8 camera. Um, so it was a fun little hobby for him. And then he actually went to the University of Texas at Austin with a BA in philosophy. He graduated with that BA. And that's where he met his roommate and future collaborator, Owen Wilson. That's just crazy. I feel like they're not the same age. Right? Like, I feel like, okay, Owen Wilson's old now, but I feel like he's still young. And when I, like yeah. I said, when I, I've said this before, and I will say it again, when I picture Wes Anderson, <laughs> I just see Beck. And Beck's pretty old. You're right. Well, that's the confusion, I think. Is Beck. You're associating him with Beck. Oh my God, guys, older. please look it up. They look exactly the same. They look exactly the They're same. They're the same person. I was, con- I was convinced. I'm convinced. Conspiracy theory. They are the same person. 
Maybe. A fucking genius musically and filmily. Direct. Filmily, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, anyways, that's a good theory, I think. <laughs> I think that's a really sound theory. Thank you. <laughs> so, anyway, yeah, but that's crazy. That's where they met in college, and they were just two film bros. And what a dynamic duo they made for real because they wrote the script together for their first short film, Bottle Rocket which featured Owen and his brother, Luke Wilson, which I didn't know that Owen and Luke were brothers. I did not know guys. They really don't look that much alike. I guess once you, once you look once at you them, know. you're like, oh. Yeah, because yeah. I never assumed it. Yeah. But then once I knew, I was like, oh, shit, okay, yeah, yeah, they look the same. Yeah, mm-hmm. And they're in like a lot of the same movies. Kind of interesting. Like, Can you imagine mm-hmm. that dynamic, like being in a lot of movies with your brother? That'd be so fun. I feel like that'd be fun, but yeah. also just like, like strange like and pretty rare for that to happen. It would be weird. I feel like there, there's a, there can only be one talented Sibling. Yeah, there's probably like some competition between them. Mm, the younger, the, <laughs> the eye twitches back. Psychoanalyzing them. The, um, the Wilson fan. <laughs> the Wilson fan. <laughs> and it was directed by Wes. And then uh, it came to the attention of director and producer James L. Brooks, who sponsored a full-length version, which came out in 1996. So this was Wes's first feature film. And it was not a big uh, success. Um, it did pretty poorly at the box office, but... Fun little fact, Owen Wilson originally wasn't going to act in the film because he was planning on joining the military. Imagine if he did that. So good fucking thing he didn't. Yeah. He was about to sell his soul to be a pawn for the <laughs> what U.S. <is> government. That? <laughs> that's, that's, literally, that's what it is, actually. That's kind of what it is. Sell your soul to the devil. Yeah. But instead, he decided to be <laughs> in this little short film, and look where he is now. Anyway, his next movie was his first like financial success and critical success, and that was Rushmore, which came out in 1998. And uh, this is also the first movie that had Bill Murray in it, which kind of started a long uh, collaboration between those two. Because Bill Murray has been in every single Anderson film since. How does he? How did he come in here? Like, what's the equation? I don't know. In? Well, like I think Bill's just like because he's is he okay? I'm really bad at ages apparently because he's way older. He is way older. Okay. I mean, I don't know if he's like way but older, like but he's definitely years. older. Yeah. I think. I think this is. Wait, pre- I must know now. This well, I'm pretty sure this was around the time when Bill Murray had. I could be wrong here. I could be wrong, guys. But Bill Murray had left SNL, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, there's like the awkward period when actors are leaving SNL and it's like, like are they going to be do? a success? Yeah. Are oh they my God, what a weird turnaround. Like, right? from SNL to like Wes Anderson movies. Like, exactly. So but I think that, that was one of the things that uh, helped his career, his film career, was being in Wes Anderson movies. So, I think. Okay, yeah, I was right. Wes Anderson 70. Oh, no. Bill Murray is 71. <laughs> Wes Anderson Bill Murray is 71? Yeah, bro, he looks it. Have you seen this man in a while? Not in a while. <laughs> what? He's that old? I told you. Dude, I can't believe he's that old. Anyways, wow. Sorry, guys. That kind of ruined we'll my life. We'll probably cut that out because... <laughs> that kind of ruined my life. I didn't even see how old he is, okay? Really crusty looking. The reminder of how horrible aging is was not needed. I can't wait to be old, actually. Really? Yeah. Being old. Oh my god, being retired, you just like go to your water True. aerobics class. No, you, like, I agree. with your family. <laughs> so, yes, and then it gained cult status, and in 2016 it was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry, which is kind of a big deal. Like, the Library of Congress, like, chooses, which is interesting, because I don't even feel like that. I mean, it, it's definitely like a cult movie, but I mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like Rushmore? Honestly, I that's not seen, my favorite I haven't one. seen Rushmore. That's I not my favorite. Ball Rocket or Rushmore. Damn. I actually like Bottle Rocket more Morning than Rushmore, one. to be honest. Mm. So yes, Rushmore was definitely like the first big one. Um, and then Royal Tenenbaums was released in 2001, and that was his greatest financial success until 
uh, Moonrise Kingdom came out in 2012. Both great. Both amazing films. And so now I'm going to get into, obviously he continued to release movies after that, like his career really was taking off. Um, but Bowman. now, Yeah. Bowman, you could say. Bowman. <laughs> um, so now I'm going to get into his style because that's probably like the key thing that we think about with Wes Anderson, his very unique quintessential style. All of his movies have like their own color palette. The use of color is really vivid and interesting. Um, there's a lot of like symmetrical shots, typography, uh, like pop music from the 1960s and 70s. Hell yeah, the soundtrack's so good. Slap every They're time. So, They're so, so fun. fucking good. Okay, um, yes. Um, and then just some other things, like all kinds of visual quirks, like, you know, also like deadpan dialogue, very funny, lighthearted stuff. He uses the same actors over and over again because he is like genuinely friends with all those people. Like they dine together after the shoots, which I think is cool. Mm, cute. Like it seems like <laughs> he has a, a much closer relationship with his actors than a lot of other directors, which I think that's pretty cool. Let's get into the nitty gritty of his style. The nitty gritty. The nitty gritty. Okay, I watched some really interesting YouTube videos by this guy named Thomas Flight, who, wow, this guy definitely went to film school. But yeah, so this guy made some fucking great video essays about Wes Anderson, I really recommend them. Um, and he mentioned something in his video, one of his videos that was like, Anderson's style has realistic content and fanciful form. So. Often there, he portrays like realistic situations in quirky, like strange, fantastical ways. Like they're portrayed like a fantasy. Whereas a lot of directors tried to hide the fact that there's a camera and crew, um, you know, working on the movies because they want you to be like fully immersed in the story. Anderson doesn't really care about that. Like he adds like fantastical touches. Like for instance, like in Rushmore, there's curtains that sweep over the shot to make it look like a play. Um, the Grand Budapest Hotel and Royal Tenenbaums are like, there's like chapters of books. Um, so he doesn't Love try that. that. I don't, there's like no other movies that do that. Cause like, yes. Um, French Dispatch is the same, but it's like newspaper sections. Yeah. And it's so cool. It's I really like, cool. It. It's so cool. Um, and he doesn't shy away from that. And, and basically it's just showing the audience that someone is actually making the movie. And Which, like, I kind of like because it's like, yeah, we all know. And sometimes, like, movies take themselves way too seriously. Like, yes. they're so dramatic when you're like, okay, it does not need to be this dramatic. Yes. But he takes, like, pretty serious topics. Like, mm -hmm. fucking Royal Tenenbaums. Like, pretty serious yeah. shit. Like, death and, like, exactly all this fucked up shit. I'm going to get Suicide. into that. He just, but he doesn't, like, over-dramatize it. He does it in a very different way. Like, he's, so he doesn't take himself too seriously and mm -hmm. therefore, like, it's not... The, the film style is not taken too seriously, but it still deals with serious topics. Yeah, and it doesn't, like, minimize them. It's just, like, it's a different perspective. It's a different perspective. It's more fun and, you know, kind of childish. Yeah. But I think that's interesting. But in that way, he's basically, like, showcasing the act of storytelling, like, by making the movie, showing you, giving you reminders that the movie is something that's being made alongside the stories themselves, like, what's going on inside the film. So... It really shows like how meticulously planned out his style is yeah. and it's detailed it's kind of meta well you really have to be to like have that like 
an auteur like style yes. over like you really have to be super specific and like mm-hmm. focus in on different aspects so that it's cohesive throughout each movie exactly you know I mean? and he's a very good example of that yeah. i'd say he's probably the the best I can the be, like, whenever example. I think of, like, auteurs, I think of, like, him because it's so specific. Yeah, yeah. everyone is very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, but people critique this removal because I think it kind of detracts from, like, you were saying, like, the more emotional aspects mm-hmm. of film and that it's, like, too childish. Um, it's, like, style over substance is, like, a yeah. lot of the criticism he gets. But I still think he does a good job because he still does include intimate emotional moments. And in the, usually in those moments that are meant to be more serious, like, he will stray away from his weird visual quirks or Mm -hmm. things that might take you out of the reality of the film um, so that he can kind of showcase those emotions more. So I think it's an interesting balance. At the very least, it's unique. Yeah. Um, So another example is like in his stop motion films, like Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs, he used real animal fur for the characters and his crew was like, bitch the fuck. (laughs) What? His crew was like, because basically the crew, they have to, you know, adjust the puppets for each frame. Mm-hmm. Basically, his crew was like, well, our fingerprints are going to show, like, they're going to leave impressions in the fur, which creates this, like, rippling effect. And they're like, they didn't want to do that because it shows that there's, like, somebody making the film. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. it shows that people are adjusting it. But that didn't bother Anderson because he was like, I want the crew's hands to be there. Yes. I want to see them. And honestly, I didn't know. I, I noticed you did- but I thought it was like, it looks like wind think, almost. Yeah, it, it almost it's makes so it look cool. more realistic. Yeah, it has it's the so opposite cool. effect. It creates like a rippling windswept vibe. Oh. Yes, so it's a good movie. So another part of this, the image is that he just like basically acts and looks like a character in his films. And I think that really shows how much of an auteur he is. Like he definitely takes his own style and ideas and, and has complete control over uh, how that's portrayed in his films, you know? Yeah. Very much, very unique. That probably helps that he's super close. Like, I mean, he's close with, obviously, the actors. Mm -hmm. But probably his whole crew, too. So they, like, costumes and set and all of that. Like, he's so close with them. That probably helps to, like, have that cohesiveness. Because they all know what he's looking for and exactly what he wants. And they've done it for years. Yeah, it's very much like a, a, it seems like a close-knit kind of community. He seems like a good businessman. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Being in a Wes Anderson film? Are you kidding? If I would say if I was going to work with any... I'm speaking as if I would ever have that opportunity. <laughs> Under very specific circumstances, if I was to be if I working was like with a any director, actor, yeah, I would definitely want to be in a Wes Anderson film. Because like it just seems you. like it's fun. I feel like that fits you. <gasps> Thanks, man. Mm-hmm. So he, it seems like he creates a good environment for yeah. them. Anyway, just for some some common themes in his work, is like whimsical comedies with some like serious, sad underlying elements. Dysfunctional families, sibling rivalries, loss of innocence, obsessive characters. He has so many characters that are like really obsessed with things. That's true. Yeah. Very strange. He definitely like uses that. the same stuff over and over again. And that's another thing he's criticized for is just overdoing the same tropes and characters. There's like not a lot of variation. Um, for instance, like women and people of color are always secondary characters. Yeah, I can like think of two people of color in a West Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. The dude in Royal Tenenbaums and the dude in Grand, Bud- Grand Budapest Hotel. Yeah. And they're always Who secondary else? characters. I can't even think of one. Right? Right? And it's usually like a emotionally stunted white dude who's like <laughs> yeah. the, the main guy that we're focused on. But isn't that most films? 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's a critique, and I think a lot of pe- uh, people who don't like Wes Anderson films might. That's one of the main reasons is because it's just like the same movie and over and over again, basically. But I think, in my opinion, like each of his movies are different enough that they're. I mean, they're like similar themes and tropes and whatever, but they're all entertaining and unique in their own way. Yeah, I never get them mixed up. It's not like, yeah. oh, wait, was that from this one or this one? They're all the same. It's not really like no, that. No, no, no. Because, the, especially yeah, his like use different. of his use of uh, like color palettes, I think really helps. It's all the same, them. kind of. Like it's kind of the same like color palettes, like warm tones. I yeah. feel like, but he alters it slightly for each movie. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, and they're they're always so in different, cool. uh, you know, like context and scenarios mm-hmm. like a hotel or a setting is a huge setting thing. is huge because there's really not like a setting yeah because i don't think there's like a single movie with the same kind of setting they're all yeah, pretty different they're all very unique so that's huge i love his settings like they're always so they're fun so cool. to watch um so that's my hot take i'm like i think it's i think there's enough variation but i do think that you know Maybe he could branch out a little bit. Maybe have a little bit more representation. Yeah, in, I mean, especially, especially characters. nowadays, like, if he's going to make another movie, it's like, you have to have the representation or else no one's going to want to watch it. Yeah, do you like, know what I mean? we like, don't really need Timothy gonna... Chalamet. Okay. Like, maybe. Yes, we do. <laughs> <laughs> Are they were just trying to get, that was just a money grab with Timothy Chalamet. Really okay, was. I'm sorry. But he kind of fits. Nah. He, okay, he has a Wes Anderson vibe. Yeah. But I don't think his acting was up to par. I, I say as if I've seen the movie. I haven't seen no, that you're movie, right. No, you're right. I've he wasn't that. in it that much either. Like, mm-hmm. it was a little bit. Yeah. But yeah, he wasn't his best, I would say. Yeah. Sorry, Timothy. So that's pretty much everything about Wes Anderson. Um, do we want to do? dude. Yeah, right? Okay. Fuck, um, Mary Gill? Yes. Oh my god, yes! All right. We have Fantastic Mr. Fox. <sighs> Moonrise Kingdom. Yes. And Royal Tenenbaums. Damn, those are like almost all the best ones, except yeah. Grand Budapest Hotel you didn't include, which is I probably love, the best one. Uh, should I change it to that? I love Grand Budapest. That's my favorite. That's my favorite of all time. Okay, if you change it to Grand Budapest, Budapest Hotel, I know what I'm doing. Okay, I'll do that then. I'm gonna fuck Grand Budapest Hotel, marry Fantastic Mr. Fox, kill her own Same. The incesty thing gets me. Mm. Yeah, there's weird incest. In- it's not really incest, but it is. Like but it kind adopted, of is. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, Still your brother. Right. If you raised as siblings, there's something psychologically fucked up. Yeah. Just gonna say that. It's really weird. Yeah, they're I'm talking about you arrested development. Like their whole life. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I agree. That part is weird. That part it's throws weird. me. I so agree. That's you. why I, did, I would have to yeah, kill it. I agree. That's my God. exact answer, too. I feel like as this podcast goes on, our answers are just gonna be exactly the same. We're just the same person after yeah. all. <laughs> I'm ready for yours. Oh my god. Well, yours is so good. Thanks, man. Okay, I'll do my sources. Um, Britannica, of course. But of course. Um, this New York Times article, I don't know who wrote it, sorry, but it was just sorry. a lot about, uh, it was like centered on the French Dispatch, actually. Huh. Um, but it was about Wes Anderson's style and the actors and stuff. Um, Wikipedia, sorry, guys. <laughs> just a little bit, just a little bit. Um, and then Thomas Flight's YouTube video, Why Do Wes Anderson Movies Look Like That? And What Wes Anderson's First, first Film Teaches Us About His Style. Oh my gosh, and then I watched this video that I recommend you guys watch. It's Honest Trailers, which... Oh, shit. It's every Wes Anderson movie, and I think it, it does a really good job of, like, showing the... It, it's like it shows the like the critiques of his films, but it's also like so accurate of what his yeah. films are like, and it's really funny. So go watch that.
All right, who's fucking ready? I am, I am. <laughs> Fuck, okay. okay. My cult director, I always choose the most controversial, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Most film bro-y cult director. Yes, if you ever meet a film bro on the street, chances are they he love, worships Tarantino. Loves Pulp Fiction, favorite Fucking movie. Fucking loves Pulp Fiction, yeah. That movie's long as fuck. Be a little... Be like red flag a little yeah. bit, like maybe Just a little like, bit of red flag. Red flags, yeah. There's... Just be aware. Be aware. I <laughs> <laughs> twitch. We'd be, we'd be twitching our eyes at each other a lot. Yeah, it's just the vibe. Okay. Anyways, yes. so Quentin Tarantino was born March twenty seventh, <gasps> the day before Julia's fucking birthday. Wow, guys. Nineteen sixty three, Knoxville, Tennessee. So he was the only child. His mom, um, yeah, he had a mom. <laughs> Um, yeah, he had a mom. <laughs> All right, so he was an only child. His dad was an aspiring actor, and his parents met when his mom was living in Los Angeles, where his dad was going to, was like being an actor, trying to pursue that, and he was also going to law school. Was wow, doing the most, hustling. but left um, Quentin Tarantino's mom when she was pregnant, like found out she was pregnant and left. That is so fucked. Yeah. Jeez. So he, they moved back to Knoxville, Tennessee, where. Like his mom lives with like their grand his grandparents so her parents mm-hmm. and they like stay there for a while and then a few years later Tarantino's like four uh, they moved back to Los Angeles so I don't know what reasons but they're back there um, and his mom meets um, a guy a musician and remarries and they move to Torrance California she divorces the guy she was married to I'm not even trying to pronounce his name Zat okay I am I'm just about to do it but <laughs> Zas Zastupil Curtis Zastupil. Hmm. Anyways, we're just going to call him the stepdad. And we'll just call him Curtis. We'll call him Curtis. <laughs> so she divorces Curtis in 1973 when she receives a misdiagnosis of Hodgkin's lymphoma. I want to know the story there. But Tarantino's stepdad, Curtis, he really encouraged Tarantino's love of movies and like accompanied him to a lot of like film screenings when they were in L.A. and stuff. So like he was pretty impactful in his life because mm-hmm. he didn't really have a father figure. So that was like kind of the only taste of that he got. But also his um, grandparents, too. Um, because once they got di- once they got divorced, Tarantino was sent to live with his grandparents once again. Mm, um, damn! So lots of back yeah. So I feel like his mom was just like going through it. Yeah. Apparently, but during that time, you know, his grandparents were like a huge figure in his life, almost parental figures, and his grandma like took him to see movies such as like Carnal Knowledge and Deliverance, some of those like mm. m- movies that were like a lot of adult content in them but from like a really young age but also like a lot of like john wayne films which is pretty quintessential that like western feel which is in a lot of tarantino's movies yeah for sure so you get the kind of adult content and the western shit from a very young age you could see the breeding ground (laughs) (laughs) all right so with having all of that influence from watching a lot of films he was also a writer from a really young age and wrote his first screenplay at age 14 no fucking way you know what i was doing at age 14 fucking nothing being depressed (laughs) Being yeah. very depressed. Actually, yeah. Anyways. Anyways. But there was kind of a dark side to this youthful creativity. Oh, fuck. I read this article from, I think, I don't think it was Entertainment Weekly, but it quotes what his mom said to Entertainment Weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, and she said, he wrote me a sad Mother's Day story. He wrote me sad Mother's Day stories. He'd always kill me and tell me how bad he felt about it. That's... And she said it was enough to bring tears to a mother's eye. That's really weird. And he had no real father figure and apparently a weird relationship with his mom. 
Why would you do that for Mother's Day? Like, happy Mother's Day, Mom. I don't know. Wrote this uh, like, story for you. How old was he? Fucking kill her? I mean, he's probably watching all these movies and stuff. I mean, right. media impacts you from a very young age. So true, but, so like, sad. come on, dude. Like, read the room. It's Mother's Day. Like, maybe don't write a story about her he's dying. He's fucked in the brain. Let's just say that. Interesting. Anyways, um, and Tarantino later revealed that he would never share any of his wealth with his mother because she ridiculed his writing skills from a young age. Oh. In a podcast, um, it's called like The Moment. It seems like a cool podcast, honestly. Talk hmm. to like directors and stuff. Um, he was said, there are consequences for your words as you deal with your children. Remember, there are consequences for your sarcastic tone about what's meaningful to them. So she probably made one fucking Damn. comment. He said, He took deek, that shit seriously. Deek, mama. <laughs> Anyways. Anyway. So when he lived in Torrance, he was involved in the Torrance Theater Company, um, which helped him kind of blossom. He did like, in like his writing career and also theater because he later on does some acting as well. Mm. Um, he struggled academically and at age 15 dropped out of high school, which is like such a young age. Like that's wow. a freshman in high school and he drops out. Wow. But like he's already writing fucking screenplays. I mean, he's 14, already writing screenplays. So, yeah, Jesus. so he worked as an usher in an adult movie theater in Torrance for a while. Um, and then later attended some acting classes at James Best Theater Company. Um, and there he met like several of his collaborators, um, which like kind of helped kickstart his career so yeah nice so getting into that and he has mommy issues on top of it all and daddy issues and daddy issues yeah hmm. that'll fuck you up this is interesting to know all right so his career kind of starts in the early 80s he's at a party um and is working is talking with one another producer lawrence benner bender who encourages him to write a real screenplay that he turned to a real film Damn. So he lands a job at Video Archives in Manhattan Beach. So yeah, he kind of starts working with some people that he meets there and collaborating. Um, and he writes a couple scripts, um, like co-writes co some, but they don't really like go anywhere. Um, and then he writes the scripts for True Romance and Natural Born Killers during this time. Mm. Um, and weird side note, he also starred on Golden Girls playing what? Elvis Presley. <gasps> no But that way. was like what he did to earn the money to finance Reservoir Dogs. To, like, what? pay for that. <laughs> yeah. No way. So he's like, shit, guess I'll play Elvis just to, like, make this movie. All right. In 1990, Tarantino leaves um, video archives and works at Cinetel, um, another production company, where he's able to get um, his script, True Romance, in the hands of a director. And that one is released in 1993. So he doesn't direct that one, but he wrote, um, like, the script for True Romance. Mm. So I guess, like, you can consider that. But, really, but he directs the script, the movie that he wrote, Reservoir Dogs, in 1992. So that he, one he wrote the screenplay for and directed mm -hmm. and played Elvis to finance it all. That's really the most important part. Which, honestly, wow. Amazing. Wow. I actually have not seen Reservoir Dogs. That's, like, one of That's the, the ones one, I haven't seen. That, honestly, I've only seen Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. And, um, no, I saw Django, and I've seen Once Upon a Time. Hollywood? Yeah. yeah. So I've seen quite a few. You've seen Glorious Bastards, right? No. <gasps> That's the World War II one? That's my favorite. Oh, you don't like World War II movies? I just don't like war movies. It's, it's not really about boring. war. Well, yeah, but it's just like the context is there. Well, it kind of is about war, but it's like this like group of like Jews like get revenge and they're like kill they like kill Nazis. That's the theme. It's always revenge. I know. There's revenge. I'm, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about that because that's literally every single movie. Yep. Anyway, I mean, it's a trope, but it's cool. So a lot of Reservoir Dogs caught a lot of attention in the film community when it's entered into Sundance Film Festival. Um, so that's just, people are kind of looking out for him, like, what's he going to do next? And where is he going? And all this stuff. And people are like wanting him to like work on all this stuff and 
do all these things. And instead, he's like, you know what? I'm going to Amsterdam. He goes to Amsterdam for about a year and writes Pulp Fiction. And then... No way. Yeah, writes, directs, and then it's out in 1994. So a pretty quick turnaround. Very like, quick fuck. turnaround. And to have a hit of Reservoir Dogs and then another hit with Pulp Fiction. That's amazing. Yeah. I bet he was on some cocaine in Amsterdam. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> and when in oh Amsterdam. Oh my god. Mm. He's probably on cocaine like, all the time. Oh my god. But maybe yeah. not now. He's a kid. So Pulp Fiction came out and people were like crazy about that. All the film bros loved it. Got like... And they still do. <laughs> yeah, gross over like $200 million, tons of positive reviews. I was literally Mia Wallace for Halloween, not you gonna were. lie. I am a film bro. When I watched that, I was like, oh. I rewatched it for this, and I was like, Julia Dinkin. I haven't seen it in so long. I, I, like, oh. I got so many comments from my family. <laughs> we're like, oh my god, you look just like Mia Wallace <laughs> with that wig, Julia. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe my eyes. You look just like her. Mostly my grandma and my aunt said that. I couldn't believe that. my eyes. <laughs> it looked just like her. You really did. It was really good. Thanks. Um, but yeah, that movie kind of like is the quintessential Tarantino film where oh, it's like yeah. the Definitely reimagined. Like the biggest like cult movie. Yeah. Like, oh my God. Man. Yeah. And just, and just in, general, in general. Like that and like Clockwork Orange are like the most like oh, culty yeah. movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's that like reimagined gangster film. It was really graphic, really shocking, like kind of just this like. The comedy in it is just like very, I want to say like fast. The dialogue is like very fast paced, so you have to be like on your toes, sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It's like that back and forth, really fast dialogue. And a lot of people were like, this was kind of weird, but kind of cool, sort of thing, because they haven't really seen, I mean, it's the 90s, but there's still like the commercial stuff isn't Tarantino. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Definitely. I mean, it's still not like all the graphic violence and stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, it's very shocking. All of his movies have shocking. like shocking violence in it. Yeah. <laughs> But so during this time, he kind of took a break after working on Pulp Fiction and he was just kind of working on some other projects and such and then started working on Jackie Brown, which was released in 1997. And that was also a reimagined film of black exploitation films, which I guess I didn't know this, but it, they were films made in like the early 1970s that featured black actors to kind of appeal. It was like just to appeal more to like black audiences to kind of have like it was like a counterculture sort of thing. It's like not the mainstream, like all white actors, but right. focusing mostly on like a predominantly black like mm -hmm. casting crew. But they're probably like lesser known, right? Yeah, I mean, so yeah, so it was a lot of that and like a lot of them are like action type films. I um, mean, so he just kind of like reimagined that with that film. Hmm. Um, so that came out in 1997. He, he took another break after that. That one was like pretty well received, but like not his most popular. Mm -hmm. um, took a wee break from filmmaking <laughs> and then did some Broadway acting. Okay, Quentin. So I said pop off, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's what so I would okay, do. Quentin. All right, and then in two thousand, he starts working on Kill Bill. <gasps> so Kill Bill was actually an idea that he had with Uma Thurman, and like while they were filming Pulp Fiction, and Thurman ran into Tarantino at an Oscars party and asked, like, "What's up with that dude? Did he worked on our idea for a fucking dope ass movie?" <laughs> What's and up he was with that like, dude? "Girl, I promise you, for your birthday, I will write you a screenplay <gasps> for this." And wow. she was like, "Bet, let's go!" Oh my god! And it ended up taking. He said he would finish in two weeks. It ended up taking a year. So well, that's you know, okay. Realistic. <laughs> yeah. So whatever. So he then. I mean, it's a year later. He's kicking it off, and in two thousand three. Um, Kill Bill comes out, and then, I mean, at least it's a quick turnaround, then in 2004, Kill Bill 2 comes out. Because wow. he technically wrote them all at the same time, thinking he'd be one movie, but it was oh. so long that he had to cut it into two. 
Which, like, could you imagine if that was one fucking movie? Oh my gosh. Too much. Too much Kung shit. Kung Fu fighting, man. Everybody was Kung Fu. Okay. <laughs> Julia <laughs> sings again on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, so 2003, 2004. Yeah. Great it movies. Is. I love them. That's probably yeah. my... Actually, I've seen those too. I've seen a lot fun. more Tarantino movies than I... Yeah. Kill Bill's great. Kill Bill's so fucking good. So fun. Um, and then... In 2009, he he dabbles in TV for a while while he's also writing Glorious Bastards, and in 2009, that's released. So then in 2012, Django Unchained, that was another reimagined Western-type movie. Um, that won, like, award for best screenplay and a bunch of other awards, which kind of overrated, I'd say. You think so? Yeah. I think it's good. I mean, I don't think it's his best, but I think it's good. But that one also has revenge. It, literally every single one yep. does. Yeah. yeah. It, it's all they're all revenge fantasies which is so weird it's a little Let's strange that one. Yeah. um and then in 2015 another western with hateful eight that <gasps> one fucking have you seen sucks. that one no i hate that i've seen like this <gasps> but it's so boring okay it is really long and boring at times okay it all only tarantino, gets interesting at the end all Tar- that is every tarantino movie <laughs> long and kind of boring through all of it but like it's so weird the dialogue is so interesting that i'm like yes. so drawn in and at the end last 30 minutes absolutely boom, shock boom, boom, you. Boom. yeah Fucking once upon because I feel like most of the movies it's like very atmospheric. Like he really sets up the setting and the characters are really mm-hmm. kind of offbeat and like it's really interesting in that way. But nothing really happens. Nothing happens to the last thirty minutes. So true. But I remember watching Hateful Eight on like a like a day when there was a blizzard and it was the perfect day for it because it's like mm. a snowy western mm. and it was like a good movie yeah, to watch because right. it's like three hours and at the end it's like I think the I think I watched the cool. first hour. I don't even think I finished it. So. No, but it gets cool at the end because it's like a who done it like clue mystery kind of thing. It becomes like you're like playing clue. You know I love clue. All right, and then 2019, Once Upon a Time with Hollywood came out, and he's publicly said that his next movie is his last movie. He wants <gasps> ten and oh. no more. He's gonna literally write at the beginning of the movie final film by Quentin Tarantino. Like, no set way. Yep. Yeah. So keep a look. At, I'm like so fucking curious to see like wow. what is it gonna be. It has to be like something fucking good. Once Upon a Time oh, with yeah. Hollywood is like. Good. To be honest, so to- I think that one's overrated. What? Hot take. No, the first time I watched it, I thought that. The first time I watched it, I was like, too long. I, it was the same thing. Too, too long, fucking boring. long. Didn't like the characters. I watched it second time. By the third time, I was like, shit. I mean, I that. definitely like so it. Good. I think it's fun. You know how I feel about all the Manson stuff, though? I'm like, really? Yeah, no, I think the, like that, 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 like, context and the era is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, like, the hippie vibes of yeah. Manson, but... I just think there's like some scenes that are, and I guess it's just him, but like some scenes are completely unnecessary. And it's like, yep, that's most. And there's like Tarantino. this buildup that all leads to nothing. And I'm like, Ugh. that's Tarantino for you. Yeah. But it's so different than like, I mean, it can be boring, but I feel like that kind of style is no one else does that. Do you know what I mean? Like really yeah. being specific about setting characters and just letting it flow, like, just yeah. kind of naturally, like it doesn't really have to add up to anything. Yeah, sometimes it's just there to like create, um, like unsettle, like some kind of unsettling yeah. feeling or something. Yeah, know? it's it's more about the feeling base than actual like plot progression until the very end. So true. Yeah. You're right. I think that's. I kind of respect that decision to only do ten films though, because if it's I was amazing. that rich, I'd be like, I want you know, I it's like quality over quantity. Yeah. And he has a young, like I think his kid is like maybe probably like eight, ten, kind of yeah. that range. So like you know he's trying and to just be a retire. Dad. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I, I wonder what his relationship that. with his son is like. Oh, very interesting. Now that's something we need a therapist yeah. for. Yeah, for real. <laughs> All right. So some controversies with Tarantino's films. Obviously, we've gone over a lot of like what is quintessential about them and what people really like about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is some slight racism in some of them. With Jackie Brown, 
Spike Lee has spoken up, like, a, another director has spoken up a lot about Tarantino's films and, like, overuse of, like, derogatory terms, like, in mm-hmm. that movie. Like, you know, the N-word and stuff. Just overusing it where it's almost like, okay, even culturally it doesn't make sense to have it that much. And, like, mm-hmm. from his perspective of, like, it's just, you know, he's had, like, some a bone to pick with Tarantino, I guess, right. on that. And then in 1977, Spike Lee also, um, oh, yeah, he questioned a lot of, the use of slurs in Jackie Brown and in Pulp Fiction. Um, mm-hmm. I just kind of discussed that. He basically said in this interview with Variety, which I love Variety Magazine interviews are so good. They are. They're like, they, the way they write them, those in GQ interviews are like so good with like actors and stuff. Yeah. Because they like set the Really scene. good profiles. Oh my God, it's so good. Anyways, yeah. but he said, I'm not against the word and some people speak that way, but Quentin is infatuated with the word. I want Quentin to know that all African-Americans do not think that word is trendy or slick. Ooh. So, I, and Quentin Tarantino, like, has spoken a little bit about it, like, just trying to say, like, oh, that's just, like, for the context of the character or the time. And, like, I guess that's true, but There's there still, is like, backlash. a limit. Yeah, and, like, yeah. you're a white director, like, you should know your limits yeah. or, like, maybe have someone else, like, a person of color kind of have their take on it. Yeah. You know? Definitely. I don't know. Um, yeah, and also with Django Unchained, there was some controversy with that of, like, the use of, like, racial slurs and how slavery was depicted. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lee spoke up about that again in Vive magazine, saying, all I'm going to say is that it's disrespectful to my ancestors. That's just me. I'm not speaking on behalf of anybody else. Um, mm-hmm. And later tweeted, American slavery was not a Sergio Leone spaghetti western. It was a holocaust. My ancestors are slaves stolen from Africa. I will honor them. So mm-hmm. I don't know if that's – there was just, like, some – backlash with that of like okay the i understand like the kind of reimagined feel that's a lot of like tarantino's movies like reimagined this type or like because it's not supposed to be realistic exactly but a lot of people are like okay well that's just like disrespectful to our culture and like our ancestors Mm -hmm. as well like looking at slavery like it's some western and like revenge story when like no it was like fucking horrible and like it just ha- it has an impact even today, and, like, he's not being, like, culturally sensitive to that. I could see that. Which, like, makes sense. And maybe that's why I don't like Django as much either, because I'm, like, now that I look at it in that lens, I'm, like, ooh. Yeah. You're kind of right. Like, yeah. it, it makes people upset and, like, that much. Like, ooh. That's true. Another thing was, like, um, he worked with the Harvey Weinstein Company for most of his oh. movies. Um, but split ties in 2018 after all of, like, sexual assault allegations. That's good. Um, so... That was good. And then also, so, I mean, he, like, spoke up about that, like, that I wasn't right in, like, all these years. Oh, he said that he admitted to, that he knew about Weinstein's behavior towards women mm-hmm. and later expressed regret that he didn't do more to stop it. No So way. I don't know what that entails about how much. I don't know what, like, treatment of women means, but Ew. how much he knew. What do you know? Exactly. <laughs> what did but, you like, see? why didn't he? You know, bystander, man. Exactly. So he did speak up about that, and like, I guess that's good, but like, still, as people, yeah, that's something a little controversial. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Uma Thurman thing. <gasps> so Tarantino obviously was like really had a close connection with Uma Thurman, had her in a lot of his movies. Kill because Bill, didn't Pulp she Fiction. help like write Kill Bill too? Yeah, like, I mean, it was had... her idea. That was yeah, it was their idea together, and mm-hmm. so she helped with that. And I get she probably had a lot of like, since she was the main character and like the focus of the entire film, she probably had like a lot of impact like directing it and producing it too i guess but yeah so he in kill bill in kill bill 2 i think yeah there was was that the second one the driving scene i think so okay yeah because then after that she was done Mm -hmm. um but tarantino like pressured thurman into that scene and to like act in it when she wanted a stunt double 
Mm-hmm. And she crashed. And there's actually footage of the crash that was published in oh the my Times. Gosh. So you can, like, watch it. It's, like, fucking intense. Oof. She suffered a neck and knee injuries and still says, like, still to this day, she's, like, bothered by it. Like, it, she still has pain in her neck and, like, her knees. Because he basically, like, made her do it, yeah, right? Yeah, he's like, no, you're, like, gonna do it. You'll be fine. Which and I don't know like, why you would fuck? do that. Like, if she, she's the one acting, like, if she wants a stunt double to do it, and then she, that's totally her That's what a right. stunt double is for. Yeah, why would you insist upon having her there? Like, what? It doesn't even, like, show her that much in the scene. Yeah. Whatever. Crazy. And, like, you're the director. Like, talk to the editorial team. They're gonna be the ones editing it to make it look like her anyways. Like, right? What? Whatever. Mm. Maybe he wanted it to, like, look more... I don't know. Like, I don't really know. But was it worth it, Quentin? Obviously not. Was it fucking worth it? But Quentin Tarantino was, they, like, did not talk for so long, and he didn't say anything about it. And that's why there was no Kill Bill 3, right? Yep. And then in recent years, he, like, spoke publicly about it, saying that was one of his biggest regrets of his life. Oh, my gosh. And saying it was, like, heartbreaking. um, Because it completely, like, like, ruined their relationship, right? Yeah, he said it was, like, yeah. So that was, like, one of his biggest regrets ever. Damn. So, Yeah. Yikes. Yep. So that's kind of just And no Kill Bill 3, man. I know. What? The hell? No. We didn't get a closure to the trilogy. I want one. It's not fair. I need a denouement. Denouement. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so that's pretty much everything about Quentin Tarantino. Obviously, there is so much that's controversial. And like, film bros get like such a bad rap for liking him. But I will say I do like Quentin Tarantino films. I think the like revenge aspect thing is like so cool and i do like that at like the last 30 minutes like the build up to it all in the last 30 minutes it's a good like, build up it's just so random and all this shit's happening and all of a sudden like sh- hits a fan like i oh, like yeah. that i like knowing that like something's gonna happen it's very entertaining his films yeah, are very so entertaining. entertaining and you don't you don't know what's gonna happen exactly like you know some violent shit and yeah there's gonna be like revenge in some way but you don't know how or what it's always like very creatively done too mm-hmm. i think yeah um but why do you think that? Why do you think that he often has, like, revenge as, like, a key theme in his work? I mean, I think he is kind of fucked up, so he thinks it's, like, cool. But if you think about it, revenge is, like, kind of... It's, like, a theme that's in a lot of stuff, honestly. Like, just writing, yeah. like, if you think about it, like, it's such a good way to, like, build an action movie. That's because true. what's the plot of most action movies? Revenge or, like... I mean, even, like, I think, I don't know why I thought Taken, but I think about Taken, that's literally just, like, a revenge film. You know, he's trying to, like, get his that's daughter true. and, like, get revenge. And, like, something's taken from me. I need revenge. That's, no, like, the main thing I for, agree. like, the hero's journey is, like, now I must get revenge. You know what I mean? That's it's like true. It's, like, kind of that next step. And I think it's that... Like, it's, like, the violence is more justified when it's revenge, when it's, like, against somebody who deserves true. it. I didn't think about that. But it's still like violence you know and so, and sometimes i think it's it's kind of overboard like it's interesting but it's kind of like it's a lot it's a but lot that's what he wants yeah like kill bill when they fucking st- it's uh, it's pretty intense it's, it's like intense. It, it honestly is too much sometimes it's like but he wants that he wants the shock factor right you know and that's just because i think he's just a little, i think he's a little crazy a little something's not right up there but yeah you know, makes good movies i like them Hey, the craziest people are the best artists. I guess it's true. All right, so that's pretty much everything about Quentin Tarantino. And now, fuck Mary Kill, I've thought of mine. (gasps) Kill Bill. I'm going to think Kill Bill like one and two together because they're technically like one movie. Okay, sure. It's the same thing. Kill Bill, Pulp Fiction, and Glorious Bastards because (gasps) you like that one. Okay. You haven't even seen that one. Yeah, that's why I'm just going to kill that one. (sighs) I already know mine. That's not an accurate judgment. <laughs> I'm the one coming up with it, so. Damn you. Okay. Um. 
Damn you, Tony. <laughs> Damn you, Tony. <laughs> All those old people. Oh um, I would fuck Kill Bill, hmm. marry Inglorious Bastards. Kill Pulp Fiction? And kill Pulp Fiction. It's true. It is kind of overrated, but I think it's so I like funny. Pulp Fiction, but I think it's a little overrated, too. I mean, I, I think it's still good. It's still great, but... I really like Inglorious Bastards, guys, but I also just am impartial towards World mm. War II movies. I don't know why. But it's cool. That movie is, like, shot in so many different languages. Like, English is not the main language spoken in that movie. There's, like, French, German. That's I think it's mostly French, German. There's Italian and English. Wow. And I know the acting is really good. <laughs> That's my opinion. Well, I'd kill Inglorious Bastards because I haven't seen it. And it is a toss-up between Pulp Fiction and Kill Bill. But I think I, think I would... Hmm. I think I'd marry Kill Bill... I think I like it a little better and marry it and then I fuck Pulp Fiction. Okay. I see. Okay. Well, that's a wrap on that. That's a wrap, guys. Hope you guys enjoyed hearing about these very different directors and hope it inspires you to watch some watch of their Watch some shit. of their films. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why they're, you know, cult directors, why yeah. they have, like, such cult, big cult followings and status, you know? Yeah. Oh, let me see my sources. Sources I used today, Wikipedia, I used um, biography.com, which is just information on Quentin Tarantino, a BBC article by Tom Brooke, CNN article by Lisa Resperis France, and a G GQ article by John Phipps. All right, thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll catch you next time. I'm so excited for our next ones. It's going to be good. Me so too. Stick around. Stick around, fellas. Bye. This podcast was written and produced by Tony Elton and Julia Murtis, edited by Tony Elton, music by Sam Shapiro, and a special thanks to Lucy Richardson, Carlos Jimenez, Ethan Crawford, and the DU Media Film and Journalism Department.